here we are on a brand new week. It's been wonderful the past few weeks here, hasn't it? Fantastic. You know, as Rich said, the past two weeks, uh, Chris has been uh, kicking off for us phase two of the Growing Family Campaign. Woo! Yeah. Oh, come on, guys. Wake up. Yeah! Woo! There we go. Hey, come on. As Chris said, turn in a space into a place where Christ can be made known. It's fantastic. And if you missed last week and the plans, Chris had a stick. He was pointing at the plans on the screen. Um, You can just outside. I'm sure you've seen it already. The plans are on the wall. And I'd also like to add, uh, as Rich mentioned, this Thursday is our monthly call to prayer at 8 p.m. And please join Dennis and myself. A personal invitation for me. Come and pray as we kick off phase two. It's an important time for us as a body. And so I'd encourage you to come and pray. Well, it's exciting morning. Uh, Not only because I have the privilege of being up here, but because we are kicking off a brand new four-part series entitled, are you ready? Center. Ta-da! Woo! Um, I'm very excited this morning. I don't know what's going on. There's all the extra sugar in my coffee. I don't normally have sugar, but I took some. Anyway, I'm going to fall in about 10 minutes. You're going to have to pick me up off this stage. Um, You know, center, it's a cryptic one-word title. Um, And no doubt you'll be saying, Mark, what on earth is that all about? What does that mean? Good question. I would like to respond, if you will allow me to, with asking and replying with another question for you. You ready for a question this morning? Just smile and say yes. Here it is. You ready? What is the greatest danger facing the church today? Big question. What is the greatest danger facing the church? And what I mean by the church is the church global today. Now, I do appreciate this is not a kind of question that one thinks about during the week when you're doing your chores. You know, you you, you clean up. I wonder what the greatest danger is of the church facing today. But I suspect that even though you have not come armed with an answer, as I have been speaking, some thoughts and some answers may be flashing through your mind. Yeah, some nods. You might say to me, Mark, is not the greatest danger facing the church today that we are becoming too inward focused, getting comfy and self-absorbed on our progress and apparent influence? And you know, certainly for the Western church, you may be right to a degree. Or you might say, no, no, it's not that. The greatest danger facing the church today is that we're not pressing in with the gifts of the Spirit. We're not seeing enough signs and miracles and healings, or or that we're departing from the infallibility and inerrancy of the Word of God. And you know what? You also might be right to a degree. Or you might say, no, 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 it's none of those things. The greatest danger facing the church today is that we are becoming increasingly irrelevant to the people outside the four walls of the church. And again, you might be right to a degree. But I would like to propose that the greatest danger facing the church today is in fact all of those things and yet none of those things. (gasps) Mark speaking in riddles. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. You see, all of those things, and they are dangers, hinge on one thing and one thing alone. If you like, the greatest of 
dangers. And so what is the greatest of dangers? It is this, taking the person of Jesus Christ outside of the church. Moving Jesus from the center to the outside, to the peripheral. Replacing the person of Jesus Christ with a man-created image of him. A more palatable, more man-confined, non-offensive version of him. Replacing the person of Jesus Christ with the mask of religion and good works. It happens in church. Legalism and rules instead of the breath of the spirit which makes Christ known and brings liberty and freedom. I can continue. Replacing and removing the deity of Christ in all his fullness. It happens in church so as to elevate ourselves to some kind of equal position, fueling our need for self-importance and our desire for prominence. Replacing the worship of Jesus in church with other gods with a small g. Really? In church? Really? You see, whatever takes lordship and center in your heart becomes a god, becomes an idol. And many people come to church not to worship Jesus, because they come to worship singing, or come to worship serving, or come to worship coffee, or come to worship hearing the word. Now, don't get me wrong, these are all good things, but they flow out of worshiping Jesus first. How do I know these things? I have seen it in my own life. Have you seen it in yours? And this movement from center isn't apparent and it is not blatant. It is subtle and it is hidden. It is a masked tactic which the enemy employs to rob us from the joy and from the peace and yes, the glory which God has for us and for his church. It happens, you see, when we take our eyes off of Jesus and put it on ourselves. It happens when we get busy and we feed off the impact of what we do instead of being filled by the love of Jesus for who we are. It happens when we stop seeking God in faith and pressing in and pressing on with all that God has for us. And as you know, that has been our vision and our prayer this year. And instead, we live in our last success or dwell in our present comfort or even our discomfort. It happens, friends, when we ignore the word of God, when we stop praying, we stop seeking the presence of God and calling upon the name of Jesus, and instead we allow the spirit of this age to entice us with false teaching, appealing to our fleshly desires. How do I know these things? I've seen it in my own life. Have you seen it in yours? And so we find that in fact, this greatest of dangers facing the church today is also our danger. This challenge is our challenge. This message, I have to say, 
is for me, and respectively, it is for you too. You see, God's intention was and is that Jesus be the center of all things. The whole world, the entire creation, all of the fullness of God in and through and for Jesus. Jesus is alive and living. And the promise is, is that by the Spirit, he is alive in us, the center of us and the world that we find ourselves in. That is how God has created this universe. But unfortunately, we live in a world where, as you know, apparently, all ways lead to God. A mix of religious beliefs and philosophies touted under the deceptive banner of tolerance. Where apparently, science alone fixes all of our problems. For after all, are we not too enlightened and too smart to need a God? Where the humanistic appeal that we are the center of all that we see denies not that Jesus existed 2,000 years ago, but denies that he was and is God, and we are in fact the created, not the creator. It is true, friends, that many in the church today would rather preach a man-centered gospel than a Christ-centered gospel. A gospel which is palatable, acceptable, and appealing to our self-centered thinking. A gospel which ignores the sin of the world and our own sin and personal responsibility. And in so doing, diminishes the love and the forgiveness and the grace and mercy of God. For after all, if that were the case, what is the point of the cross? It appeals to people that would rather say, my life's okay, thank you. I just need a better one. That is the greatest danger facing the church today. But you know, we would be mistaken if we thought that this was confined to our present age, the 20th and 21st century. For you only need to look back at 2,000 years of church history to see that this greatest of dangers has always been there. And we read in the Bible... <clears throat> In the New Testament, that there was a city 100 miles east of Ephesus called Colossae, or Colossi, however you want to pronounce it. And they were facing the very same danger. They were in danger of moving the person of Jesus from the center to the outside. You see, as we read in the book of Colossians, which is a letter that Paul wrote them, we read that they were being swayed by false teachers who are saying it's not just all about Jesus, it's Jesus and. You need legalism and you need rules, otherwise you won't be saved. It was a mix of paganism and Judaism. It had the mask of Christianity, but it wasn't really Christianity at all. And so what happens is the Apostle Paul hears of this and he responds by writing them this letter. And what the letter does is it encourages them for, for the journey they've made thus far and for the fruits that they are seeing but it also warns them of the dangers ahead. You see, this letter, and we're going to look at this together, encourages them to keep Jesus at the center of all things. And it beautifully proclaims the supremacy, the centrality, the all-sufficiency of Jesus. And he says that this is the gospel that you had heard and grown in. It is Jesus. You see, the gospel is not words. It is not a manifesto, it is the person of Jesus. That is the good news. Jesus is the good news. 
And so over these four weeks, guys, what we're going to do is unpack this letter together and go on that journey with the Colossians. You see, this is a word in season. Why? Because God is wanting to commend us here at the Vineyard St. Albans for the journey we've had thus far, for the fruits that we are seeing, for our heart's desire to put Jesus at the center. But God is also warning us, friends, of the danger of getting off balance of getting busy and putting Jesus on the peripheral. It is a word of season. It is a word of preparation for greater things. It is a word for you, and it is a word for me. And with that, before we go on this journey, I would like us to pray, and then we're going to dive into Colossians. Lord, I want to thank you (laughs) that you are here with us. Holy Spirit, would you make Jesus known to us this morning? Would you put him front and center? Would you prepare our hearts to see Jesus? And would you shine upon our hearts those areas that we have closed the door, that we are holding on to other centers, where we are putting our faith in other things, where our love is with other things, where our hope is in other things? God, would you reveal that? And would you make Christ known in this place? That you, Jesus, would be the center of all that we do here. And God, take this weak vessel. Take me, Lord, and use me for your glory. I pray you would anoint me afresh to preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I mentioned, we'll be spending four weeks putting Christ at the center. And we're going to unpack this teaching together. Now this week what I want to do is focus on God's intention and the centrality of Jesus. Set the scene for this series, if you like. And then over the next remaining three weeks, the guys are going to dive into three specific areas of putting Jesus center in faith, in love, and in hope. And these, in fact, if you read this, and I'd encourage you over these four weeks to read the book of Colossians, are the fruits that he commends them for, that they have grown in love and faith and hope. And that is what God is wanting to grow us here. So, let us turn together. Get your Bibles. Uh, It may look like this, or it might be on your your phone or other smart device. And I would like us all to turn to Colossians chapter 1. And we are going to be looking at verses 15 to 20. That's 15 to 20. So turn with me, if you will. And, uh, you know, as we've been doing recently, let's honor the word by standing as I read this. As I said, Colossians 1, chapter 15 to chapter... Sorry. Did I say chapter 15? Oh, apologies. Chapter 1. There is no 15 chapters. It's only four. <laughs> 15 to 20. <laughs> I've added to it. Oh, dear. Oh, Lord. Here we go. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities... In fact, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him. To reconcile to himself all things, 
whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. Bless you. You may be seated. Well, as I said before, this is a, a wonderful declaration that Paul sets out of the supremacy of Jesus right from the get-go. A beautiful poem. Um, but you know, as you dive into this passage, and this is what we're going to do together, you find that actually it's very well structured. You see, what Paul does in this, let, in this passage is, first of all, he, he declares the reason why Jesus should be center. And then he goes on to outline three areas that Jesus is the center of. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the one reason and the three centers. So let us look at the reason. Here it is stated very plainly for us at the start of this passage. Verse 15, here it is. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Well, you know, the Greek word for image actually translated is exact revelation. Exact representation. You see, the Colossian church needed to hear this because the teaching of the day was saying Jesus was not. They were saying Jesus was not fully God. And so right from the start, Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Jesus is not a poor copy. He is not a variation of God. He is the exact revelation of the invisible God. And he says in chapter 2, verse 9, if you have a pen, make a note of this. He says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Paul cannot be any more plain than this. Jesus is God. Amen. Jesus is God. You cannot take the deity away from Jesus. Because if you do, you create a false Jesus. Jesus is God. And you know, up until Jesus, you see, God was a mystery to man, as it says in Colossians. No man had seen God, but now Jesus came and the mystery was revealed. This was God. John 14, 9, Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, yes. At the time, the disciples would have thought he was being cryptic. The truth is, Jesus could not be any more plain. I am God. Jesus is God. You know, recently, uh, Chris, before the Phase 2 launch, um, kicked off and uh, talked us through a series called First, about putting God first. And he focused on finances. Well, here's the thing. You see, these two series are linked. Why? Because the only way you can put God first is if you put Jesus center. That is the only way that we can put God first. You take Jesus away from the church and put him on the peripheral, you take God away. And so, if you're looking for Jesus' credentials as to why he should be the center, I put it to you, it is nothing more plain and yet nothing more mysterious and marvelous than Jesus is God. And so with that, Paul sets the scene, and indeed for us also, for what those three centers are, and we are going to look at those together. Let us look then at the first center that we read in this passage. Verse 15, the second part, says this, the firstborn 
over all creation. Jesus, the center of creation. And you read this and you think, why, why, what, what does that mean? Thankfully for us, Paul goes on in verses 16 and 17 to give us an explanation of what on earth he meant. And he means this, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Wow, he's covered all the bases, hasn't he? <laughs> what a deep explanation, wonderful explanation. And he uses the word, doesn't he? In him and through him and for him and held together by him. Let us, let us look at some of those, through him. What does that mean? What does it mean that creation was through Jesus? Well, many of you will recall the first verse in chapter one of John's gospel. In the beginning was God. And the word was with God. In fact, the word was God. And the word was made flesh, Jesus. The word was God and was made flesh, Jesus. You see, here it is. Jesus is the word of God. You see, when God spoke, it was through Jesus that all things were created. When Jesus walked this earth, he walked on earth that was created through him. When Jesus came and reached out in love to people, he reached out to a people that were created through him. And when he hung on that rugged wooden cross, he hung on a tree that was created through him. That is the ultimate irony, the ultimate rejection. John 1:11. Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Do you receive Jesus this morning? Do you receive him and say, yes, be my center? Let us move on. For him. Everything was created for a purpose. Everything is here for a purpose. <clears throat> From the deepest of oceans, to the highest of peaks, to the smallest of creatures on the earth bed, to the largest of birds flying through the sky. From your neighbor sitting next to you, your neighbor across the road for you. We have all been created for Jesus. All of us for Jesus. And that includes you. You have been created for Jesus. Is that a bit of an uncomfortable statement? Does it make you wriggle a little bit? Does it re reveal maybe a full center? Well, I'll tell you, it does for me. You mean... I'm not created for myself? You mean the whole world doesn't revolve around me and what I need and want? You see, Jesus is the center of us. It's for Jesus. And then Paul goes on, another one, held together by him. You see, not only is everything created through Jesus, 
Not only is everything created for Jesus, but everything is sustained by Jesus. The air in your lungs is sustained by Jesus. You know, just as the the sun holds the planets in orbit around it by its gravity, so the sun holds everything around him by love. That is how we are held together, by the love that Jesus has for us. It is because Jesus loves you and you and me that we are held together in Jesus. Wow. And so that is the center of all creation. And Paul does a wonderful job. As you dive into this word, and I'd encourage you, when you go today to reread this passage, you will just see the Holy Spirit opening up and you see the centrality of Jesus in creation. Let us move on to the second center. The center of the church. It says, you see in verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. This is his church. It cannot be called a church if Jesus not be the center. But let me tell you, there are many churches out there that would preach a different gospel. But if Jesus is not the center, then it is no church. You see, let me tell you this, church is not here for us to sing or to chat or to pray, but it's here for Jesus. All these things are important, but they flow out of Jesus at our center. Only then can we truly worship. Only then can we truly have fellowship. Only then can we truly pray in the Spirit. This is his church, his bride, and it shall be presented to him spotless and blemish-free. Thank you, Jesus. Let us move on, friends, to the third center. And Paul says this in verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I'm going to say this as plain as I can. There is only one way to the Father, and it is through Jesus. No other way. Let it be known from this pulpit that the only way to the Father is through Jesus. It is appropriate this morning that we have been sharing communion and reminding ourselves and remembering that act of sacrifice, that act of love, that act of grace, that act of mercy, that act of compassion, that act of loving kindness for you and for me, that Jesus said, I will bear that sin and the punishment of sin, which is death. And when you know Jesus on the cross, his final words, it is finished. He wasn't saying that because he was saying, oh, thank goodness, it's finished. I can go back up to heaven to be with the Father. He was saying, the work of the cross is finished. You cannot add to it. You cannot get to heaven because of good works. Good works will not get you there. The only thing that will get you there is the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. And this was a problem, you see, in Colossae, false teachers were coming in saying, it's a little bit of Jesus and it's a little bit of something else. But God is saying, no. It's all Jesus. And let us move on as we, as we bring this plane into land. We looked at those centers. Center of creation, 
center of the church and center of salvation, I think Paul does a very good job of covering everything. I don't think he's missed anything. So what is our response? It is this, praise and thanksgiving. You know, in verse 13 of chapter one, Paul says he gives joyful thanks to the Father for what Jesus has done in their lives. And you see, that is our response. That is how God intended it. That when we put Jesus at the center, we recognize who he is and his love and his compassion and his, and his, and his mercy and his grace for us and we respond in worship to him. And so this is, the, this is the danger of taking Jesus out of the center and put him on the peripheral. If we do that, we rob Jesus of the praise. You see, if we replace him with other centers, we, we start praising those things. Thank goodness I can get to heaven because how good I am. We start praising ourselves. <laughs> but here's the other thing. We don't just rob Jesus of praise. We rob ourselves of true fulfillment and peace. Because we were created to worship Jesus. And the danger of this lie is that if we move Jesus out the peripheral, we think we're being filled by other things, but slowly but surely, we lack that peace and that joy and that fulfillment. I'd like to invite the band up. You know, I mentioned at the start that we are turning a space into a place where Christ would be made known. You see, without Jesus, this thing is not worthwhile. It's meaningless. It's just another building. But our heart as we go down this journey together is that Jesus would be the center. And that is why this word, this series, is a word in season for us to prepare us for what we're, great things we're going to do in his name. Let us remember, friends, that Jesus is the center. And as we end, I want to ask you a question. And it is a challenge is Jesus at the center of your life? I didn't ask if you were a Christian. I asked if Jesus was the center of your life. Are there areas in your life that you've cut Jesus off from because it's far easier, you think, to control it yourselves? Are there areas in your life that you have not allowed Jesus in because you are fearful? Jesus this morning is saying, I am here to be your center. I know that when I hear that challenge, my answer is, Jesus, only in part, forgive me. I want to know you more. I want you to be the center of everything. 